Well, guys, I am so excited to be continuing our series um, that we're calling Signposts. And Signposts is a, basically it's a series on First and Second Peter. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter. That's what we'll be today. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We have the screens and we'll, we'll be bringing things up from that point of view as well. And so we'd love for you to follow along. If you're wondering where First Peter is, uh, go to the New Testament. Um, find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep on going. Uh, get close to the end. And after you pass Hebrews, you'll start to find some little letters there. And those little letters are power-packed. Uh, just because it's small doesn't mean it's not powerful. And so, go back there and you'll find First and Second Peter. It's right by James and, and some of those books. And so, find that there. Uh, we're going to be in the first chapter of Peter, so go ahead and Go ahead and find that. Um, before I get started, I, I just wanted to commend our young people. I loved watching you guys worship today. I did. I did. Come on. Um, there's something that happens to adults as they get older. It's like you used to have this jumping fire in you, and then all of a sudden you get older and beat up by the world, and you just you kind of just do this. Now I know some of you are like, hey, that's my personality. Why are you picking? It's about the fact that I believe that God wants our whole life, our whole body, our whole energy, our passion, everything we've got. And I love seeing that in you guys. And may it be a may it be a, a, a picture to us. You know, maybe a picture to us that perhaps we've let some things get a little stale. You know what I mean? Is that okay? Are you guys okay with that? I, I know some of you are a little frustrated with me right now, but that's okay. I've seen you at a Cardinals game. <laughs> I've seen you at a Cardinals game, and you lose your mind for the Cardinals. There's nothing wrong with losing your mind a little bit for Jesus. So thank you, kids. Thank you guys for doing that. I'm I, I just so inspired by that. Um, may it rub off on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. All right, well... We're going to go ahead and jump in here to, to the second week of signposts. And, and I wanted to start by just reading what we'd call our series verse. Um, this series verse is found in chapter 5, verse 12 of, of this letter. But I, I want to read it to you. This is what the Bible says as Peter's writing. He says, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. He's basically saying, I wrote this letter. Um, Silas has helped me kind of write it, which is not uncommon for someone to do that. More than likely, he said things and he wrote it down. But then he goes on to say the purpose of this book. Listen, he says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that, you, that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you and then he says, stand firm in this grace. Now, what's interesting is that more than likely at some point in this journey, 1 Peter to 2 Peter, he wrote the first book, got arrested somewhere in between there, wrote the second book from prison, and not too long after writing the second book or the second letter to the people, he was crucified, he was executed upside down. And so, my friends, it didn't end well for Peter. That was a, that was a tough that was a tough assignment. And so what I'm trying to help you to see is that in the midst of all that he's dealing with as a leader, 
he's writing to the church to encourage them. You know, isn't that amazing? Like the fact that he was like, I got to encourage and assure the people of God that what they're experiencing, this is crazy. What are they going to experience? What are they experiencing? The suffering that comes from knowing Jesus. Because Peter knew that not just the suffering they had right now, but it was coming. Somebody help that man. He's struggling with the buttons. So don't get distracted. Stay with me. But Peter knew what was going on in the world. He knew that Nero was about to show up and do some really bad things. And so, guys, look, here's the deal. Persecution was coming. And so what he was doing was trying to prepare them for the fact that that was going to happen. And so he says to them, this is what he says. He says that you, he says, I want to encourage and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of what? God's grace. Like it's God's grace and he says stand firm in this grace. It's crazy to think about that in the midst of persecution that somehow God's grace is within all of that. But here's the thing about the faith that I believe in and here's the thing that you need to understand about Christianity is that Christianity isn't about avoiding suffering. Matter of fact, I would suggest to you today that many Christians today would be what I might call Christian Buddhists. Because in Buddhism, the part of the, the, the role, uh, a part of the religion is to somehow avoid attachment so that you can avoid suffering. But what happens in the Christian community is when we adopt that kind of thought, what we start to think is that any suffering is bad. And so what Peter was trying to say to us is that, that, that there's something here that in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the difficulty, that the grace of God is still present. And that you can build your life on that. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons I think Christianity is the most important word that the world needs to hear. I really do believe that Christianity is right. I believe that the faith in Jesus Christ is the way. And it's not just because I think, you know, we're great. Because clearly we struggle as people and in the church and, right? We don't always do it right. But the thing that I know is that when I look at all the other religions of the world, all of them are about doing something to get God to either love you or do what you want him to do. That's called magic. And so my point is, is that, that what I love about the faith, what I love about Christianity is that somehow wrapped up in this story of ours, the challenge of life, the, the struggles that we face, that God is with us, that in the midst of all the pain and the suffering and the difficulty, that his grace is present and that somehow we, we stand on it. Somehow we build our life on it. And it's not just some kind of like idea of grace or something you say at a meal, but it's that God's grace is sufficient for everything that you need. That God's grace is sufficient. So... So here's the thing you have to understand is that it's sufficient for everything. 
It's sufficient for your salvation. It's sufficient for your suffering. It's sufficient for your submission. It's submission for everything. It's, it is absolutely perfect and has the ability to do everything that we need it to do so that we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. That his grace is perfect, it's full, it's complete, it doesn't need any additives, it doesn't need your help. It's something that is absolutely true that we can build our life on. Whoo! Come on. Isn't that good? And I think sometimes we, like, we hear these big lofty ideas and these big things and, and we're like, yeah, that's good. But, but do we really understand what it means that we can build our life on that? That we can stand on that. And that's what Peter was saying. He's like, bro, and girls. <laughs> I was like, what was, what's the opposite? What was, what's the gender for bro? The opposite. Sis. Bro. Sis. And he's like, listen up. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to assure you that whatever you're going through, whatever your challenges are, whatever fa you face because of the name of Christ, you need to understand that his grace is sufficient and that you can stand on that. And that is true. And oh, he's trying to give it to him. And I love the fact that he's given it to him from probably a prison cell. Knowing that in a few days, a few months, that he's going to die. That's faith. Friends, that's faith that's been tested. And faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. You see what I'm saying? And it's not that God doesn't know. It's that we don't know. In other words, we haven't been through it enough to know that our faith will be true when we go through it. Because God is not surprised by what you're going to do. What he's trying to get you to see is, is that you need to know what you're going to do. Like when, you, when, it, when it hits the ground or the fan, whichever one, you need to know how you'll respond. And the only way you know is in real time. In other words, capacity is determined and seen in real time. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can assume that that person can do the job. So you hire them. And then all of a sudden they can't. And you're like, oh man, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have hired that person. Right? Because you didn't see what they could do in real time. Now they told you what they could do. They were like, yeah, I can do that. And I can do that. And I can do backflips. So I'm going to be great for you. And then you, you, you discover that they can't do what they said, and the only way you see it is in real time. And so my point is, is that that's what this is about. What Peter is trying to get you to see is that, that there's something coming if it hasn't already showed up in your life, and it's going to test you. You're going to be in certain trials and certain sufferings, and this book talks a lot about that, about how do you respond in all of that. But it also talks about our behavior our lifestyles, our submission to one to another and to God. It talks about a lot of different things. It talks about the second coming of Jesus. It talks about how we respond to persecution and suffering. So there's all this good stuff 
And so here's the big idea for the series. I just want to read it to you. Is that we've been set apart by God's grace to be signposts. Everybody say signposts. Of that grace. Do you see? We've been, we've been set apart by God. By God to be signposts of that grace. And look at this. As we live our lives, we will either point people towards God or we will point people away from God. In other words, by the way that you live, by the way that you behave, you actually are being an example. And you are either pointing people towards God or you're pointing people away from God by the way that you behave. Now, I get that what I'm saying is hard because nobody wants to come to church and have the preacher talk about their behaviors or their lifestyles. You all want to be left alone. I know you don't want me in your business. But here's the thing. The Bible's always in our business. If we don't let the Bible get up in our business, we have a problem. We're the one with the problem, not the scripture. Because the scripture's there to train us. We're not there to train it. And so my point is, is that, that, that we have to understand that God is serious about training us and helping us to be the people that God has called us to be. But here's the problem, that the thing that Jesus tells us to do, the standard that he calls us to live at, the behaviors, the lifestyles, all the things that we're supposed to do, we can't do without Jesus. It's impossible to do it. I don't have the ability or the strength to do it. And if I did, I wouldn't need Jesus. That's the whole point. And so what, what Peter does in this book is he lays out this kind of big doctrinal kind of thing. He says, here's the doctrine. Here's the, here's the theology you need to know. Here are the big ideas you need to know about God. And as a result of those things, this is how you should behave. This is how you should live. Now, this is important, and you got to get this. Because what happens sometimes is we try to live the life without Jesus. And when we do, we fail. We try to live out these big, audacious, doctrinal, amazing, beautiful things without him in our own power. Like, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like, when you leave the church, you go out and you're like, I'm going to do better. Right? I'm going to do better, guys. And you go out there and you, and you say, God, I'm doing better. And then like the next day, you're doing the same thing again. Have you ever had that experience? Am I the only one? That you make a commitment to God and then the next thing you know, you're doing the same thing again. And so my point is, is that we know this cycle. We know this cycle. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get us to see. And I think that's what Peter's trying to get us to see is that if we don't get this right, not only does it hurt us, but it hurts our witness. And how many of us believe that the witness of Jesus is important to this world? Right? You believe that. Now, now let me ask you another question. If the witness of Jesus is important to this world, how is it going? When you make a poll out there, take a poll. What do people say about us Christians? <laughs> they love us. No. They don't, there's all these things that they say. And, and here's what I want to say to you. Guys, I think we earned it. 
Now, you may not have because you're perfect and you did everything right. But I do think we've earned some of that story by how we've treated people, how we've acted, the things that we've done. And look, here's the thing. I know that I can't affect change globally that somehow is going to affect someone's mind about what they think about me or what I'm doing. But what I do know is as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can live my life in such a way that I bring glory to God. And if I will live my life in such a way that I bring glory to God, then that means that I can bring the kingdom of God into whatever sphere of influence I have. And imagine if everybody in this church did their part, that you lived in such a way that your sphere of influence, you were bringing the kingdom of God into it, and you looked like Jesus. You didn't look like something else. Imagine how beautiful that could be. Imagine the, the, the type of ministry we could do. It'd be great. And so, I want to dig in just a little bit here before I get to the meat of this message. I want to dig into something that I think Peter helps us understand. And this is really important, so don't get lost here. you got to stay with me because this is a real foundational thought. It's that basically, instead of starting with ourself for the answer, we got to start with God. And I think sometimes in our life, we start with ourselves. Or we start with our girlfriend, or we start with our friend, or we start with, you know, some help book, or, you know, whatever. We don't actually go to the one that has the answers. And part of what Peter is doing is trying to paint a picture of who God is. And when you know who God is, this is the kind of stuff that can help you build your life on something that matters and is true, and it's going to help you. So this is what I believe Peter reminds us of. He reminds us of the Heavenly Father, and he reminds us of certain divine qualities of God. And so here, as you go through this particular chapter and these particular chapters of this book, what you notice is, is that he says, God is known by his divine foreknowledge. What does that mean? It means that he knew it before, right? So he knows things before. Now that's important. Why is that important? Because you don't know. How often in our lives do we speculate about what we don't know? Do you know what I'm talking about? You think about the future. You think about what's going to happen at work. You think about this relationship. You think about, is that going to happen and that going to happen? And what happens is you start to think about things you don't know anything about. And what happens is you start to speculate about what those things will be. And what happens? Your faith doesn't go up. Most of the time it doesn't go up. It goes down. Because you start to feel worry and anxiety and fear and you don't know what's going to happen and you're not in control. God forbid that we come to a place in our life that we finally realize that we're not in control. That even the control that we think we have is an illusion. So, So here's the thing. Is that God has foreknowledge. That means he knows what's going to happen. And if we would simply surrender our life again to that truth we'd have more peace. Think about that. If you wouldn't grab hold of the future, however you're grabbing hold of it, and you would simply trust that the Father is for you, that the, that the Father has foreknowledge about your future, and that not only does he know about it, that he will be with you through it, well, the amazing thing is, is that that stuff can start to dissipate in your life. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that even just that short, small principle can be that helpful to us? And he goes on through the book and he talks about our relationship with him and the type of relationship that God has with his people. I'm just grateful that God did a DTR with us. 
You know, he, he defines the relationship. He helps us know what he's going to do, and he helps us know what he's not going to do. Isn't it interesting when God's already told you what he's going to do, and then we start to wonder what he's going to do? And he's like, what is wrong with you, child? I told you what I was going to do. Like, isn't it interesting that sometimes we, we will be disobedient to God and we're surprised at what happens? <laughs> isn't that funny? Like, it's just crazy to me. If God told you this is what's going to happen, then you should just trust that. Now, you might be in a place where you think you're getting away with it right now. Believe me, friends, it's coming around. It always does. Because the Lord is true. He's always right. He's always going to tell you what's right. He's always going to help you understand that. And he goes on in the book and he starts to describe how, how worthy God is of praise. And he tells you why he's worthy of praise. So whether you feel it or you don't feel it, God's still worthy. Whether you want to stand up and shout, glory to God. Right? Can you guys do that? You ready? One, two, three. Glory to God. Ha! Yeah, right. No, some of you are like, I'm never doing that again. I feel like that pastor just manipulated me to praise. <laughs> but we praise God because he's worthy. Not because we feel like it. It's just because he's worthy. Because of everything he's done for us. How he cares for us. How he loves us. And then he goes on and he talks about how God is the author of new birth. So he's the one that helps us go from where we are to the new place. You've heard this idea of being born again. So he's the author of this. He's the author of eternal inheritance that someday we'll be with God. Someday we'll receive what everything that God says we'll receive. It's all coming. That we can count on it. God is a holy God, remember? He says, be holy as I am holy. He calls us to a different way of life. Matter of fact, the Bible even says that God's our judge. That someday God will judge the works of his people. I know that's not a popular sermon. Most people aren't listening, you know, to... Most people are not listening to sermons about the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, maybe we can find something on dealing with my emotions. Right? Like, I mean, that's what we do. We find that title that helps us. It's practical. We're, not, we're all, not all excited about the judgment seat of Christ. But why is the judgment seat of Christ important? Because we know we serve a God that is our judge. And the great thing about that is that he's just. And someday you'll stand before God and he'll look at you and he'll say you're right, not because of what you did but because of what Christ did for you. Huh. Isn't that beautiful? To think that somehow I get to do that. And what I also love about the fact that God is judge and he's all about justice is that someday he's going to make this world right. See, the Bible says that, that he will create, he is bringing and ushering in a new heaven and a new earth. Sometimes we think we go to outer space and hang out on the moon. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth and so 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 that's important and that all the injustice of the world will be made right oh what a glorious day when god makes everything right the suffering around us the suffering in our life the suffering all over the world oh my goodness imagine if it all came together 
And it was right. And it was beautiful. And it was exactly what Eden was intended to be. Wow! That's what our God does. That's what he can do. And on top of that, not only is our judge, he's also the one that raised Christ from the dead. He's the one that raised Christ from the dead. He's the one that glorifies him in heaven. And so all of this is happening by the God that we say we worship. Now, why is all that important? Because all of those things are the foundational things that help us live the life that he talks about. And so Peter is trying to say, okay, 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 okay. Listen to all these things. All these things are important. But understand that all of these things are important for a reason. They're not just there for you to have greater knowledge. They're there to empower you to be the people of God. They're there to empower you so that you can overcome the things in your life that you seem not to be able to overcome. These are the, see, this is why it's important. And what's so amazing to me is that if we don't figure this out, what happens is that we go out into the world and nobody wants what we want. No one wants what we have. Because our life and our behaviors and the things that we do don't draw people to Jesus. They, they actually repel them. Isn't that scary? To think about the responsibility we have? Guys, we've got to get this right. And that's what Peter's trying to say. He's like, hey, here's all the doctrine, but realize that you're a signpost. And everywhere you go, everything you do, you're pointing to something or someone. Friends, that's important. And so what I want to do for just a moment, as I've laid that foundation, is I want to talk to you a little bit about what I'm calling standard of living. You've heard this phrase, standard of living. Um, you're usually thinking about it in relationship to your life, right? The standard of living that you live at, or this is the standard of living of this company, or this is the standard, of, you know, you get it. But here's a, here's a definition of the standard of living. Listen to this. The necessities, comfort, and luxuries enjoyed or aspired to by an individual or group. Okay? So there's, there's things that you are aspiring to or enjoying. It's certain necessities, comforts. But then watch this. He goes on to say this. These necessities, they're held really as essential that if you don't have them, there's something wrong, okay? So, so, so they're held as essential to maintain a person or group, listen to this, in customary or proper status or circumstances. What does that mean? In other words, th that the standard of living, whatever it is, is somehow out there, and it's the thing that we aspire to. It's the thing that not only do we aspire to, but it's the thing that creates a proper status in our lives and in the lives of other people around us. That's what they call, you know, this whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses. In other words, there's a certain customary thing. There's a proper status. And if you don't have it, then something's wrong with you. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's one of the things that really messes us up. Because what we do is we create a standard of living that God, it, we didn't even ask God. We create a standard of living that really has nothing to do with the Lord. It has to do with the world around us. It has to do with the things that we say are necessary. It has to do with the things that we think are customary. It has, it has to do with the things that we think are proper for us to have a certain level of status. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I know none of you would do that because y'all are above that. I mean, you're well beyond that. But isn't it true in our lives? I'm amazed at the things we do to impress people. Holy Lord. We buy things that we don't need. We live in such a way that God never intended. We keep clawing and scratching for the things of this world, for pleasure, for status, for stuff. And the, and the thing is, is that God's like, kids, why are, you, why, why, why are you trying to grab for that? I think it's amazing that we serve a God that wants to bless us beyond anything we can think or imagine. And we think we've got to grab for something. We serve a God that freely gives. And if we'll do it his way, we will get the things he wants us to have. But what we do instead is we grab a credit card and we swipe that thing. You know what I'm talking about? None of y'all ever done that. You ever had a bad day? <laughs> grab that credit card. We're having a good day today. <laughs> and you feel so good. You get out of there like, yes, I feel so good. Oh, I got some new clothes. I got a new car. I look good. You know, and you buy your new car and you come to church and everybody's like, oh, look at that new car. And it smells good. You love it. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. Everybody's out there. Oh, I love your new car. It's so pretty. And oh, it's so good. And you're, so, I'm so blessed. Oh, you're blessed too. We're all blessed. <laughs> <laughs> and what's sad is you have that moment and it's so good and you loved every bit of it and then like two weeks later no one's talking about your car and then the bill comes due and now you're mad at the car and the car never did nothing to you you did it to yourself because you were reaching for something that you thought you deserved or needed to have come on and if you would simply do it God's way, perhaps you wouldn't be in that situation. We've all had buyer's remorse, haven't we? <laughs> Lord God. Uh, I would say, I don't think God wants us to feel buyer's remorse. I think that's the devil. The devil wants you to feel buyer's remorse. And so my point is, is that, that what happens is we stretch and we, and we claw and we try to get what the world has. And in the end, we're seeking a standard of living that God never wanted us to have. And, and what happens is it puts us in this contorted, twisted place that doesn't represent the kingdom of God. And so here's what I know is if you will be faithful with little, God will give you much. I don't know if you believe that. What I've found is people say they believe it, but then they don't do anything with the little and they go get a credit card so they can get much. Guys, that's messed up. And so my point is, if you'll be faithful with the things God has told you to do, he will do what he says he'll do. You're like, I've never done that. I never do that. I, I always do what God tells me to do. Come on. Did you know that six, no, 10% of the American public tithe Pastor, are we going there? Yep. God said that's, that's the place to start. He says that's the place to start. And, you, and what happens is we don't even do that. And then we get mad at God for not blessing us. 
And God's like, I already told you how I'd bless you if you'll do what I told you to do. He says in his word that he will overflow your cup. And I can tell you this, in my life it's true. Because I've honored God in this way, he is blessing me, and not just with money. He's blessing me in my family. He's blessing me in my kids. He's blessing me in my marriage. He's blessing me in all kinds of ways. And friends, that doesn't mean I don't suffer. I know what it means to suffer. But God is a God that in the midst of my challenge and my trial, he shows up exactly like he says he will. And if you will honor God with the tithe, he will bless you beyond anything you can think or imagine. But what happens is we want what's think or imagine, but we don't do the small stuff. And then we want God to give us the big stuff. And I'm just going to tell you, he won't. God is not surprised. He's, remember, he has foreknowledge. He's not, he's aware. <laughs> you didn't, because what we do is we give it to God. We're like, here, God, I just, I just want to give you this problem. You know, I need this paid for, or, you know, whatever it is. God, I, I, I give you this worry I have. And what we do is we're like, okay, I gave it to him. And we're like. I, I wonder if he saw that. Friends, of course he saw that. But that's what we do, isn't it? It's almost like we think we're faking him out. <laughs> like he doesn't know we just took the piece of paper. That's what children do, isn't it? They act like you don't know. And you're like, I just saw you. <laughs> and so my point is we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up in our faith. We've got to be stronger in these areas. And so, guys... I could go on a ton, but this is all about this living hope that we have. That in the midst of this living hope, we'll experience challenges. Heaven is coming. I may not see it right now, but that it's coming and I can trust God in that. That my faith is going to get tested, but it means that I'm going to know that it can be trusted. And I'm going to work through that and I'm going to get stronger and all these things. And, and what happens is that we want to receive the crown of glory without receiving the crown of thorns. I don't, you know, no one wants to put the crown of thorns on. But I'm trained by the thorns. I become better. And what happens is we get hung up in who did it. You know what I'm talking about? We start to focus on the cause. Like, why is this happening to me? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? I've had that thought. I'm going through a bad deal. And I was like, why, why, why? Right? Why sometimes is the worst question you can ever ask when you're suffering. Because the answer is, I don't always know. The best question you can ask is who? You have to ask the who question. What's the who question? The who question is, who is God? In the midst of my suffering, who is God? Yeah. He's the one that has the grace. He's the one that's sufficient in grace. So whenever I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. He walks with me. He never forsakes me. He never leaves me. His grace is sufficient. He gives me the power to overcome. Come on. I can pray. He says that mountains will move. Friends, that's big. I have the same power of, uh, uh, that raised Jesus from the dead living in me. Guys, we have it. 
We just got to reach for it. And so when God calls us to, a, to live a certain way, to a standard of living, we have to recognize that it can only be achieved by him. And there's a living hope that we're reaching for. But there's also something you got to see. The second part of this standard of living is that we got to live a certain level of holiness. God is calling us to holiness. Remember, he's holy, so we're supposed to be holy. Listen to this in 1 Peter. Stay with me. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. Wow. But what he said is get your mind right, get your actions right, get your self-control right, because it's not going to be a cakewalk. You're going to actually have to not only know what's right, you're going to have to do what's right, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not an easy job. In verse 14, he goes on, he says, so you must live as Christ's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living. Remember, that's that behavior, that lifestyle to satisfy your own desires. He says, you didn't know any better then. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, the Bible says you do know better. You know better. And you're like, no, I didn't know. Yes, you do. Because God will help you know. You listen to his word, you'll know. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. You may be walking down a path the Holy Spirit has already told you to stop. And you're like, okay, I'm listening. But that's not what happens. We keep going. And so, so, so he goes on, he says, but now you must be holy as everything you do, just in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So you must be holy as I am holy, he says. And so he basically tells us that we need to make sure that we're being focused, we're, we're keeping a clear head, that we're, we're being self-controlled, that we're not just kind of wandering around aimlessly and being intoxicated by the world, but that we are feasting on the things of God so that we can be obedient to whatever he calls us to do. Now, here's the thing. Holiness is not about here. In the, you got to hear me this. Holiness does not mean sinless perfection. Doesn't mean that. It means that you are set apart, separate unto God. Doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It means that you are separate, separated unto God, set apart and here's the thing I want you to see is if we're set apart unto God and we've spent time with God, then we should look like our father. Like in the world, we should look like him. We should look like the father that we know. And here, I'll give you an example. My son, he preaches here at the church some. He's 14 years old and he probably does a better job than me. Well, maybe not. But one of the things I always hear is people, he'll get down and people will talk to me and they'll say, he, he does things like you. Like he has certain mannerisms or certain turns of phrase or, you know, whatever. And, he, and the, you know, and he acts like me, he has certain body language, right? And, and people will tell me that. And it's like, well, why? Because he's been with his father. He's been with his father. He's been trained in how to preach by his father. And so he's going to sound like me some. He's going to do some things like me. His mannerisms are going to be similar. Now, someday he'll have his own stuff. He'll have his own mannerisms. He'll have his own way of doing it. But he should always reflect the Father. We should reflect the Father in the world. And friends, I just have a simple question. is when you go out in the world, are you reflecting the Father in such a way that people want to come to Jesus? Or are they repelled by the Jesus you love. Guys, that's a scary thought, isn't it? 
We've got to live in such a way that people are drawn to God because we are signposts that point to God or we either or away from him. So good. I'll end with this. The last thought I have for you is that not only do we live a certain lifestyle, not only do we live holiness, a certain way of doing things, not only do we live with a hope of the future, but we also live in harmony. Now, how many of you believe that right now we need some harmony in our church, in our world? Yeah? Yeah, we need some harmony. But here's the thing, guys. God has clearly told us how we get it. Now, there's always going to be sin. There's always going to be bad actors. Always. But those bad actors shouldn't be Christians. Our job is to be something greater. Our job is to show the world a better way. To create a path through the destruction and the disunity and the disorder. Our job is to create a path. We're not, we're not here to create a problem. We're here to create a path to God. We're here to be signposts for Jesus. And I just have to ask you, and I have to ask myself this question, is am I living in such a way that people are drawn to God? Am I loving? Here it is. Am I loving in such a way that I reflect the character and nature of Jesus? Because this is what he says. Listen. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, listen, you must show sincere love to each other. Are you loving people sincerely as brothers and sisters? And then he says this, love each other deeply with all your heart. Oh, man. I was convicted the other day. This week has been pressure. I've had some stress in my life, just doing a variety of things. And, and I was driving with my wife, and she said something to me, and I didn't like it. But I wasn't feeling very good. You know, I was off. And I, I snapped back at her. You know, just kind of got, you know, it was one of those where you just get angry. And... And what was crazy is I, it was, I, you ever had those moments where you're kind of, you feel like you're, it's like out of body. Like you're like almost looking at yourself. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, what in the world am I doing? Because I don't yell, like I'm not a yeller. But it was one of those things, I just, it was out of character for me. And clearly I was under some stress and some pressure and, you know, I didn't act like I should have. I didn't behave a certain way. But the only way I know that or feel that is because I know the Father. And so when I do something that's outside of the character and nature of God or a certain behavior, it, it, the conviction comes. And I then have to own that and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, babe, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Right? God, I'm sorry for dishonoring you in that way and of not loving my wife as like Christ loves the church. Right? Like, I'm just trying to be real with you. We have to live in a better way. And the only way we can is that we know the way. And the way is Jesus. And so when we know him, we can live in deep community and harmony, not only with our spouse, but with other people. And in this passage of scripture, there's two loves that are mentioned. In the Greek, there are three forms of love. 
Okay, but in this particular passage of scripture, one of them is the word where you get uh, like phileo, which is where you get what? Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. So it's a, it's a love among brothers. And the thing you have to understand is that pagans, unbelievers, whatever you want to call people that aren't in Christ, they can love with that kind of love. But the Bible's very clear that in order to love with the love of Christ, you have to have Christ. And the Greek word used here is that word agape. And that word agape means sacrificial love. In other words, that you're being enabled by, enabled by the Spirit to love people selflessly. Because friends, I don't know if you know this, but as human beings, we tend to be a little selfish. And so what happens is the Spirit of God enables us to love people sacrificially. We're no longer concerned about our rights or what we get. We're more concerned about bringing glory to God, making sure that harmony is all over the world so that people will be drawn to Christ and come to faith. That's what we're called to do. And so we're called to be pointing people to God. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. Because God has called us to live like God, to look like our Father before a world that so desperately needs it. And in the midst of division and disunity, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can bring harmony, we can bring order, but we can't do it by acting like the world. I'll end with this. Harmony is a blessing from God. Did you know it? It's a blessing. Listen to this in Psalm 133. Psalm 133, verse 1. David is writing this psalm, and he's trying to help us to see the result of a life of harmony. He says it this way in verse 1. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Look, you get that picture? There's this oil being poured and it goes on his head, it goes down his beard and as it flows down his beard, it goes down to his robe. So he's basically covered in the oil. Well, see in the Bible, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. So there's a covering that's occurring. And when that covering begins to occur, we're now enabled to do the things that God's called us to do, to live in a harmonious way. And when we do, it, the, God says that it's wonderful and pleasant. And then he goes on to say this, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. Guys, these are holy places. And he's saying that there's a refreshing occurring. There's a newness. You know what I'm talking about? When you wake up in the morning, there's a dew. Whether you think about it or not, there's a newness. There's a newness there. And, and what God is trying to say is that there's beauty, there's new. There, it, it, it is a good thing when we live this way. And then he says, and there the Lord has pronounced his what? Blessings. He has pronounced his blessings. Guys, he's the king of the world. When, when the king pronounces a blessing, it happens. 
And so, guys, when we live sacrificially the way Christ would call us to, we will experience harmony. The world will experience harmony through the people of God if we'll get this right. If we'll live in such a way that brings glory. And then he says, even, even, even life everlasting. And so he gives us the blessing now and heaven later. How good is that? I hope that's what you want in your life as we read through this book. As I close, first, I want to say this to you. And I want you to hear me. I, I am extremely proud of you for sitting here and listening to what I just said. Because I know what I said was thick. You know, because it is. It's a lot. I mean, we basically gave you a whole chapter of Scripture today, whether you knew it or not. And we've talked about it. We've processed it. And I just want to say I'm proud of you for staying in there and listening. But I also want to say to you, keep going. Come back next week. Like, really dig in. Take what we taught today. Take the chapter of Peter, this first chapter. Go home and ask God what he wants to say to you. Start to, start to dig in. Because I can tell you this, and I promise you this. If you will give the effort this summer, I believe it. If you will give the effort here, he will meet you. He will speak to you. You will learn some things. You will grow. If you're in a place where you feel dry, this is going to help you. So please, please keep going. But I just wanted to tell you I was proud of you. Proud of you for sitting through it. Proud of you for listening. Because it matters. It matters for you and it matters for our world. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good. You are so great. And we just love you so much. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it shapes and helps us, Lord. We're just grateful. Lord, I know, though, as, as I preach this message and I ask that question, do you look like your father? I would just suspect that there are people in the room, including myself, that would just have to be honest and say, well, you know, I think there's parts of this that I do. There's times I haven't. Maybe even this week you would say that, well, you know, I missed it. Here's what I want you to hear is that there's grace for mistakes. There's grace for sin. And so what I want to do is just ask you that question again, is do you look like your father? And if you don't, that's okay. The Bible says that we all sin, but the good news is, is that we have an advocate with the father through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so if we'd come to Christ, the Bible says that he's faithful to forgive us. And so I wanted to pray for anybody in the room that would say that they're, they're not necessarily reflecting Jesus right now. Maybe there's an area of your life that you're struggling with. Maybe there's just something, a behavior, or maybe even just something happened this week. My heart is, is that you'd walk out of here free. Free from any bondage or anything that the enemy's trying to weight you down with. And so I want to pray for you. And so, God, I, I, I thank you for every person in this room that's earnestly seeking you, that's placing their faith and trust in you as their Savior and Lord. And so, God, I just ask right now for just the Spirit of Christ to come in the room wherever there's a sense of guilt, 
sense of condemnation, whatever it is, God, that is keeping people from hearing you or living empowered lives, I just pray right now that those things would begin to come off of them. Say to the Lord right now, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for what I did or I'm sorry for how I behaved. I'm sorry for this last week or that day or maybe even last year, Jesus. I, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I want to get right with you. And so, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my behavior, for how I acted? Would you help me to lean again and trust again on the sufficiency of your grace? Fill me again with your spirit that I might serve you, that I might point people towards you with my life. Hmm. You know, there might be somebody in the room that as I prayed, you might say that I, I, I would have to be honest, I, I don't look like the father because I don't know the father because I've never accepted his son. And so if there's anybody in here today, I want to pray for you in this area because I believe that God brought you here for a reason. And if you're not, if you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus, this is your day. And so I'd love to pray with you. And so right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you know him? Have you said yes to the offer of Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus came into this world. He was born. He grew into a man. He died a brutal death. Three days later, he was resurrected, beating sin and death so that you might be restored back to the Father and that someday he's going to come again. That's the gospel. And so my heart for you today is that you would receive that gospel into your life. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, these are the things that can be true of you. And so I just want to offer that to you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do on the count of three, if this is you, if you want to take that step, just simply raise your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. Like I said, nobody's looking around. I just want to see your hand. It's a statement of faith on the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead. Raise it up. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Awesome. Well, if you raised your hands or you wanted to raise your hand, I just, I want to offer you a prayer. And so church, let's all pray together. Nobody's praying alone in here, okay? Let's lift our voice with this prayer. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you save me from my sin? I surrender my life to you. Will you be my Lord? Will you be my Savior? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you fill me with your Spirit? I choose this day to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, can we celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? That's so good. Awesome.